Welcome to another episode of Behind the Headlines. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about climate change and how it affects the state of Michigan. Joining us on today's episode, Sherry McWhorter and Lindsay Moore. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. As I said, our guests today, Sherry and Lindsay, and joining me as always, my co-host and vice president of content for MLive, John Heiner. John? Thank you very much, Eric, for that kind introduction. I appreciate it. Happy holidays to you. As you know, M Live covers local stories all over the state of Michigan, and we have a, a very talented statewide news team that covers big statewide policy issues. But once in a great while, uh, we will cover stories of global significance, uh, especially when they impact us here in our state and our local communities. And and right now, there's probably no larger uh, literally and figuratively story than climate change uh, across the world. Uh, it's a slow unfolding story. It has been for decades, and uh, it's going to be for decades more impact the lives of everybody who live in Michigan and across the United States and the world. So it gets to a point where you can't ignore it. So uh, our crack journalists are on it. And today to talk about some uh, major reporting project that we have involving climate change are from our statewide team, Sherry McWhorter. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Good to have you here. And a many-time return visitor, uh, Lindsay Moore. Welcome back, Lindsay. Thanks for having me again. So I've been reading for years. Uh, I've been kind of a buff about um, animals and animal species and trends of things and reading about how like these little frogs in Africa are climbing up Mount Kilimanjaro because they got to get to a certain, you know, strata of, of climate where they thrive. And I just saw an article this morning about reindeer. It's Christmas time. But uh, in Scandinavia that they're they're migrating and moving. But I think it's a good reminder that humans are animals, too, and that you are you and Sherry Lindsay are investigating uh, uh, trends of human migration and how that affects Michigan. So I have opened the door to that. And uh, I'd like to ask you, Sherry, first, if you can talk about the general premise of what you and Lindsay are reporting on right now. Absolutely. Uh, in in report uh, in reporting about climate change, it it seems that um, Michigan has a, a number of advantages over a lot of other places. We've got a lot of water. We got a lot of wide open spaces. Uh, that's why people love Michigan. And uh, it's occurred to people that this might be a decent place to ride out the worst of climate change. And we're seeing them move here um, slowly, but surely they're on their way. And that means that those of us who are already here should probably start planning for that. 
if we don't want to be taken by surprise. And that's where this reporting project came from, that notion. Mm -hmm. What positions, Michigan, you mentioned water, um, but climatologically, you know, what's happening and what experts say is going to happen. Uh, For instance, I have uh, friends, uh, relatives, acquaintances in Phoenix and Florida. And, you know, any conversation you have with these people, uh, it's not just like, boy, it's hot in the summer. It's they're talking about lack of water, you know, worries about the lack of water. They about uh, how hot it is for pets to be outside, uh, talking about it, sea levels rising, stuff of that nature. So what sets Michigan apart, um, you know, and what do the experts say is going to happen as climate change unfolds? Well, all of those things you just mentioned are not going to be a as big of a concern in Michigan as they are in other parts of the nation. And that's exactly the point. Um, We don't have hurricanes that blow away our houses here. We don't have to worry about sea level rise here. But that doesn't mean that we are excluded from climate change. There will be changes here. They're already underway. Temperatures are going to be getting warmer. Our storms are going to be getting stronger. But the circumstances that we live with the dangers we face uh, from those climate uh, change-fueled events are not nearly as horrible as those being faced by people in other parts of the country. Uh, The wildfire risk here is not nearly what it is in the West. Um, the, the, The heat danger here, we have some hot days, but not like they do in Texas. And so... We have um, this very unique positioning on the globe of having access to lots of water and our temperatures aren't going to get nearly as hot as elsewhere. So that makes us very attractive. Right. And you mentioned people from all around the country. And Lindsay, I know in your reporting, you've talked to people in other parts of the country and uh, including some who've come here. And, And what are those what are those families and people telling you, Lindsay? Yeah, that has been honestly some this reporting has been extremely humbling as, you know, a lifelong Michigander that I was like, wow, we've really ended up in a desirable spot and kind of by chance. And so to hear these stories of folks coming for what we already have has been really interesting. So, you know, I spoke with folks that are coming, you know, whether it's congested cities. I spoke to a couple from Washington, D.C. that had enough of that swamp humidity. And what they chose instead was 40 acres in the UP. So they went the totally other direction. Um, But I also talked to families that it was felt less of a choice and more of a, you know, we need to do this for quality of life. You know, families fleeing wildfires, specifically in the Oregon area, uh, 2020 was, you know, one of the deadliest, most harmful wildfire seasons for them. And so, you know, they had smoke just engulfing them literally to the point where they're duct taping every crevice of their house. Um, you know, if we felt cooped up 2020, you know, being home for COVID, these folks couldn't even go out and take a walk. And so um, for them, they happen to have family in Ann Arbor. And so they literally kind of fled here for a couple of weeks to to wait out the smoke and then ended up saying, why are we going back to the smoke? We know it's going to happen again. We know it's already happened three summers before. Um, and that really, I think, informed this project because because Sherry hit on it when she was telling you a little bit about you know, that we're seeing them come slowly, these climate migrants, as we're calling them. And if you looked at our census numbers, you'd say, Lindsay and Sherry, this is not a great migration, you know, and that's been the biggest hurdle in reporting this. 
um, which I know you love to hear on behind the headlines is how did we get mm-hmm. to this point, this big package we're going to drop on your, on readers. Um, and we really had to prove that this is happening and speaking to these people really proved that and talking to a lot, a lot of scientists, double digits and the amount of sources we have here. Um, just to prove that this migration is going to happen over a trickle of time. And it's going to happen as these events keep knocking on people's front doors, like the wildfires, like heat and drought, like hurricanes. That's what pushes people to move, much like your reindeer and your frogs, right? It's when you kind of have to move that animals move. Um, And so we're already seeing that. And it was really inspiring and humbling to hear these people's stories of saying, I got to get out of this danger zone, especially, you know, younger folks that wanted to start families. They're like, why would we buy a house here? Why would we start a family here if the next decade, the next two decades, we're going to have to move anyways? Um, So it was really interesting to hear folks. Yeah, I'm going to stop here for a second and uh, go back to something you referenced, which is these stories are not published yet. We typically talk about packages we've done that are published. This This will be published in the next week. Uh, it's a, a major reporting package. We're just previewing. It's a rare preview here on Behind the Headlines. I will say that there are people might say, well, there's always been forest fires. There's always been flooding. You know, there's always been hurricanes. And But, you know, and this is one of the arguments that it's kind of a, you get in a circular arguments with people. I, like, I look out the window in Ann Arbor today and there's no snow on the ground. So I'm like, global warming. Now, that's a weather pattern. That's that's not the larger, uh, you know, global climate change in, in action, although weather patterns are affected, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's interesting because I got to read a draft of your story. Uh, it's, it's very, very good uh, stories, but is that by talking to actual people, you know, in the, somebody who's been in a wildfire zone where the air quality is 516 on a scale of zero to 500, uh, that that's not habitable, you know, mm-hmm. and the frequency that this stuff is happening is is causing um, people to make personal decisions for their own well-being. And, and nobody moves a million people at a time. Those decisions are made individually. So, you know, and it is interesting because Michigan actually, you know, we lost another seat in Congress because, you know, we're not keeping up with the population growth of other states. But there there's an effect like if you fire a, a cannon in the air, the momentum carries it so far. It, it keeps going after it loses the rocket loses fuel, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's people still moving to Florida. There's people still moving to Texas. And one of the things you point out is that they also have tax differences there and stuff like that. But what, also what I'm hearing anecdotally is how difficult living is down there. I mean, you had Texas when they had a winter storm that wiped out all their electricity, uh, two hurricanes back to back that hit the same area in Florida. So, you know, what's your sense or the, the people you're talking to, the experts, on when this rebound is going to happen and when we start seeing more of an exodus towards Michigan? Sure. Well, Sherry actually found these incredible researchers that do population speculation right right here. Um, so I'll, I'll let her take it away because we finally got the numbers on that. There's not a lot of research happening on this yet, but there are some scientists who are looking at it. Um, they're they're looking at both climate data and tax records, where people live, why people move. And um, the idea is that eventually conditions will become untenable. Eventually, you won't have insurance that will help you rebuild your home. Uh, eventually, you will grow 
so exhausted with the, the storms or with the heat or with the collapsing electrical infrastructure that you'll look to your options elsewhere. And uh, here in the Great Lakes, we look gleaming in blue compared to a lot of the the rest of the country. And um, there's no real pinpoint at the tipping point. It'll be different for every family. Every family will decide based on their own economic circumstances, their social circumstances, um, and their environment, where they want to live. And climate is now being factored in. And Early data suggests that we can expect at least tens of thousands of people to come to Michigan fleeing rising seawaters alone. Now, that's just sea level change. Uh, the experts I spoke to suggested that the number of people coming to Michigan from other uh, climate crises like wildfire and heat will outnumber the sea level rise. Uh, uh, impact. So um, more research is happening on that right now. And it's something that we in Michigan should really pay close attention to. Uh, and timeline wise, in your stories, you talk about this is the next year, but it's like 2050, 2040, 2050, you're going to see it unfolding. Um, hopefully I'll be around, you know, 2050 to see all these new people coming in. But um, I'll give you a real life example, Lindsay. You talked to a lot of real people. I was with friends this weekend who uh, a guy said, yeah, my dad and mom are in town. They're usually in Florida this time of year. Why are they here? They're here because they were in Estero Beach, which is in the hurricane zone. And the three feet of their house was underwater. And it's, you know, it's uninhabitable right now. And the other thing that you mentioned about cost, Sherry, is uh, they had hurricane insurance, but that's not covered because it was a flood. It was a, the sea surge. So um, these things are extremely, uh, the economic impacts of these things on people are going to start to weigh in too. And I think I haven't seen a flood in the UP. Well, I'm sure that we have rivers that flood, but I haven't seen Lake Superior gobble up whole towns or anything like that. So, okay, there's two sides to every coin, you know, and we see the positive benefits of people moving here and more representation in Congress and more tax revenue and all this stuff. But what are some of the ways Michigan's maybe not prepared for what's about to unfold? Yeah, well, I think actually that couple you just mentioned that's here is a great example because then, you know, should they want to move back here permanently or, you know, all the folks that I did talk to, you know, are how we're still in a housing crisis um, as an economy reporter. That's something I'm kind of uh, staying up on, you know, over time anyways. And so then looking at a longer runway here, you know, Michigan came up with this five year plan for like 75,000 houses. Um that still won't really be enough, right? Like we're still trying to make up more than a decade of lost time from the last recession. And so then if we're going to talk about what Sherry just said of tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of people, this, this, you know, impending tsunami of people, um, we're not ready for that. And, and so in even talking to our housing development, they were aware of this concept of Michigan being a climate haven, of being a place to go to, of, um, and their answer to me, you know, I can't totally blame them. They said, we got to handle the people that are already here. We got a problem in front of us. 
Um, and so it's not just, you know, number quantity of housing, but it's also the pricing. I mean, right, that's what I've been on here a couple times to talk about at this point of who can afford to live in these places. Um, and so, yes, the UP doesn't flood, but it also has incredible green space and it has all of these places that we don't want to build on. But, you know, we have to come up with a plan then if all these people are coming, and we don't have enough houses for them. And if we spur this big building rush, where will we put them <laughs> has been the biggest question. And how do we protect the reason that they're coming here? They want to be on the lakeshore. They want to have all this 40 acres of wild space. Well, not everybody can have 40 acres of wild space if we have all these thousands upon thousands of people of coming. Um, so I took a look from the economic angle of housing, of infrastructure. If all these people come, we need roads, we need airports. We really need drinking water for them. We need groundwater, wells. Um, you know, we were wrapping our hands around a big, big concept, um, but green space was one of them that Sherry really dug into, too, because we want to keep that pure Michigan beauty that, you know, what, what will we lose if all these people come here was kind of the big question that she aimed to answer in that that space of the story. Yeah. Is there evidence that people are starting to speculate on land or buy land up north uh, to stuff like that? That's already been happening for decades. Uh, Northern Michigan is um, is a vacationer's paradise, and it's been well known uh, for its uh, second home uh, situation up here. So many second homes then became, you know, year round homes, especially during the COVID uh, lockdown. A lot of people realized that they could work from anywhere, and now they do, and they work from up here, and they've turned their second homes into permanents. And um, there's a lot of speculation on what to do with with the land that's available. And there's some repurposing of land that's happening. You know, uh, for example, in the Traverse City area, uh, one old golf course is being turned into a nature preserve because it in includes a number of important wetlands uh, on uh, a creek that flows into Grand Traverse Bay where thousands of people get their drinking water. Mm -hmm. Another golf course is being redeveloped into high density housing because mm -hmm. there's not enough places to house people in Traverse City for the all the open jobs. So Lindsay's absolutely right that we have an, an existing housing crisis that we need to get a handle on. Um, but I, I think that it would be foolish to completely ignore what the scientists are saying is coming. Um, and that was kind of what we wanted to do with this project. We didn't just want to, to scream the sky is falling as so many articles about climate havens and climate migration have been. We wanted to uh, start a discussion on how Michigan can prepare, what our communities need to be thinking about and discussing now to get ready so that the green spaces they value stay green spaces. So that the way that our cities are built up are the way that the citizens want them to be. And so that means we have to start having these conversations now. Is there any government, you know, Michigan government uh, or quasi academic public policy or whatever group that is planning right now is there anybody in your reporting have you found that there's a commission or there's you know the state departments that are actually convening people to talk about the implications of this sure yeah so i 
I love that you asked this question because like Sherry said, we did not want to just put fear of God into people. We wanted to give them some solution, something that's happening now. And so in the Southeast region, there is a collection of um, of municipal governments that are really looking, especially about flooding. I mean, we see these stories over and over about how Detroit gets flooded out in the highway system. And, and that's infrastructure that really does need to be reinvested in now because it will get worse, right? Like Sherry mentioned, our Michigan's climate change will look like heavier rainstorms. And so they know that and they're working with that. And it was actually, you know, really, um, you know, kind of reassuring after a little bit of doomsday reporting to hear that somebody's working on this project and to hear that these counties that, you know, range from, you know, all types of political spectrums that they all were getting on board. Even if they weren't all using the term climate change, they all agreed we can't have our roads flooded out. And they all agreed, you know, we need to make sure that the drinking water is sustainable. And because, again, going back to population, this is a major, you know, win for them. If they can do the sustainable infrastructure, if they can go green, then they can actually bring in people. Because, Nobody wants to live in an area where you're flooded, flooded out or you can't, you know, you turn on the faucet and it doesn't, nothing comes out. And so that was a real solution that we were excited about to hear um, on the other side of the state in Ottawa County, which is right along the Lake Michigan Lakeshore um, in the Grand Haven area where a lot of people vacation. They are really leading the state in the groundwater um, and finding out where can we build without going too deep into the earth that's just too salty or we straight up run out water. <laughs> so both quality and quantity was becoming a real issue um, because that county is growing faster than any other county in the state. People were already moving more rural, just like we're anticipating, you know, the whole state will look like. Um, and so they have kind of called themselves the canary in the coal mine, right? Like they, they need to figure out the solution before it's at much higher stakes. Um, so there are municipal governments really working on this. The statewide level does not seem to have a playbook yet. <laughs> or at least not one that they shared with us after many requests. Let's uh, talk about the elephant in the room here. And I'm sure a question that anyone listening to this is, is going through their head. And that in this, if this was board game, <laughs> you know, the the money in the bank would be the water. And right now, the Colorado River is like, a, it's a catastrophe in real time. Like Lake Powell is, you know, down historically low levels. Uh, the dams they have out there, they're talking about deep, you know, shutting them off because they don't have enough water to run through them. So you're talking about both drinking water, agricultural water, um, power, all that stuff and water. And it's what's something Michigan's always had in abundance. The Great Lakes states, all of us have in abundance. What are the politics around this? I mean, it's it's actually, you know, it's this resource that people coming here want. But is there any worry or talk that uh, that water might become a political football? Water is always a political football everywhere on the planet. And communities out West have been coveting our water here in the Great Lakes for decades. Even when I was a child, I can remember uh, hearing uh, news about someplace in the Southwest wanted to build a pipeline or a trench to from Lake Michigan. Uh, the Great Lakes Compact prevents that. But um, it is an agreement and agreements can be changed uh, mm -hmm. over time. And so there are people who are concerned about the commodification of Great Lakes water. And uh, a lot of people are working very hard to, to make sure that Great Lakes water stays in the Great Lakes. And if people want access to Great Lakes water, then they should move to the Great Lakes. 
Yeah, funny you should say that because I was visiting relatives in Phoenix. This was like 10 years ago, and they were in a drought and all this. But I thought we should, Michigan's um, Pure Michigan campaign should just be a billboard in Phoenix that has a tap, like a water tap on it. And water, pure, just pure water just flowing out of this tap, like a fountain that just keeps, you know, because we got it. If you want it, you know, also you can um, actually grab your car steering wheel without oven mitts in the summer most of the time. So I, I always thought we could market the things we have, but then you think, well, there's consequences to that as well. And and to wrap this up, I just a, a question I because I know you're also exploring this by talking to people already here in Michigan is one person's haven is already somebody's backyard. You know what I mean? And so you're talking to people who who may have some concerns about quality of life or way of life as people move here. And uh, I think, Lindsay, maybe you were the one who talked to uh, people up north or uh, maybe both of you. Was it you, Sherry? Up in yeah, Lons? I, I did. I uh, I. On a reporting trip to the Upper Peninsula, I uh, made some stops uh, here and there um, with people we knew who had moved into Michigan uh, because of its um, amenities, you know, as climate migrants. And uh, while I was there, you know, I stopped and chatted with some of the locals. And uh, there was a a lady I found who owns a diner in Houghton. And she says that uh, people moving in are fine just so long as... Uh, They don't want to change everything. And so long as they don't look down on the people who are already here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My dad used to have a bar in Nagani, like back in the late eighties and early nineties. And it was always, always a very culturally interesting place to visit. (laughs) Everybody knew everybody, you know, they bartered and traded and, but they were a little wary of outsiders. Even then I remember that not very well. Uh, Okay. Last takeaways uh, before we wrap up this episode behind the headlines. Um, each of you take a turn and tell me the one thing you surprised you in reporting this package. One thing you learned that was really you didn't know and you really wanted to make sure our readers knew. Um, so, Lindsay, go ahead. You first. Oh, my God. Where to begin? Anyone that's even been around me the last six months, this is all I've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. So many things. So, I mean, I mentioned some of them about uh, Ottawa County is my neighboring county. I didn't realize that we're already to the point where you're turning on faucets in parts of that county and not getting water. So I won't go to get into that since we already talked about it. But um, I think I completely took for granted how much water water we have in terms of fresh water supply. Again, as a lifelong Michigander, I was just kind of like, yeah, the Great Lakes, right? Um, So I looked this up and we technically have like the world's fresh water supply in proportion. We have 20%. That's what Saudi Arabia has in crude oil reserve. They have 21% of crude oil reserve. And so when you talk about a valuable commodity and how to ethically hold on to distribute a a valuable commodity and something that's only going to become more valuable. I think that really blew my mind to see those proportions next to each other of what we're sitting on and why we are a haven. Right. So that, that gave me great perspective personally. And Sherry. Well, every bit of this reporting project underscored why I am immensely grateful to live in Michigan. Um, I, I, I couldn't be happier that I'm already here. Um, because this is the place to be. What I was surprised by was that there's not more research into how climate change is impacting population movement. 
that we had to look really hard to find it. Um, and we had to talk to scientists about research that's still underway, unpublished results uh, that, you know, uh, will have impacts. So I, I thought that given that we've been talking about climate change for 20 years now, that um, it would be easier to get a handle on how many people might be expected to move here. And, um, and so I found it a real stumbling block to, um, to, as Lindsay mentioned, that we had to, we had to justify that this phenomenon is legitimate, that um, it's, it's not just a maybe, but an eventually. And um, so I'm keen to follow that and uh, to keep tabs on exactly what that research is finding, because clearly it's going to have a direct impact on our lives here in Michigan and across the whole Great Lakes. It's not just Michigan. And um, I couldn't be more happy to be here already. <laughs> Glad to have you both here. Uh, based on your reporting, about one-tenth of all Americans live around uh, in the Great Lakes regions. That number clearly is going to go up. Anyone who likes the weather the way it is now in Memphis uh, is going to want to be here in 20 years. <laughs> and anybody who's in Florida will probably be in Memphis in 20 years. So, um, And I don't mean Memphis, Michigan, although... Uh, <laughs> That's probably going to get a few new residents, too. Well, I want to thank you both, uh, Sherry and Lindsay. Thanks for joining me today on Behind the Headlines. And thanks for your wonderful reporting on this. And that package drops next week. So uh, Behind the Headlines listeners, look for that on MLive. Subscribe to our newsletters, and uh, it'll just come right into your inbox. Uh, Sherry, thank you. Thank you so much. Lindsay, great to have you back, and thank you, too. Thank you. And there they go. A huge thanks to Lindsay and Sherry for joining us on today's show. If you like what we're doing, like, comment, and share wherever you get your podcast. Until next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Halkren, and this is Behind the Headlines.